My name is Michael Strumsky, and this is my podcast, People More Interesting Than Me. Each episode, I'll interview a person with a different background to try to understand what circumstances, family, or tragedy has made them into the individual they are today. Enjoy. Years ago, I'm like, you know, because I wasn't able to keep up with friends very well. I'm like, mm-hmm. imagine you a podcast where you just were able to talk to old friends and yeah. figure out how they went in the four years since you last talked to them. That's genius. You should do that. I like that. Awesome. But I'm, well, I feel like it's sort of what you've kind of gotten into because the majority of people you've known either via somebody or previously. And I'm yeah. Like, so that's kind of like it. You would think the way I'm doing it, and I mean, we, we might as well just have started the podcast right now because <laughs> no, I, I'm not even joking. I'm going to probably take what you just said as the first thing. Yeah. And then this is just going to sound ironic, <laughs> but uh, it, it's just hard to find. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I assume you know what this is. You know what the, uh, the, if the, it's, I think it's called if then the whole women's uh, women's month, they did a thing on the national mall that had like uh, I think 30, like statues of women in orange resin. Did you ever see oh, that? Yeah, no. no. So basically they took like 30 women who are in STEM currently from all different fields, like mathematics, engineering, stuff like that. Yeah. And I probably emailed like 25 of them because the, the good thing about it in like all their portfolios, they had like Instagram, they had their email and stuff like that. So I was yeah. like, oh, I'm not even going to be able to like, I'll have to find their Instagram. But it's even worse when you have their direct like Instagram and their email and they won't they won't even contact you back. But like for some of them, I understood because I mean, like when I looked at their Instagram profiles, they were doing like um, they might not had like the most amazing job, but they were doing like um, conferences and like if you want to contact our my marketing team or like that. But then I think one one lady responded. So I kind of have an interview with her. but. Nice. But getting back to what you said, yeah. So basically right now only my friends are uh are acquiescing to these interviews. And but I like that you get the vibe that I, I'm just trying to reconnect to friends. So at, <laughs> at least it's coming across like something like that. Yeah. Um yeah. Well, yeah, I didn't know if there was further aspirations in that other than uh just reconnecting to people. But I, I you know, you forget when you haven't seen people in years, like how many different things and accomplishments they all of a sudden go like your last one, you know, to go from jumping to like six different, you know, areas and jobs and stuff like Tesla. And I mean, it's just crazy. And you don't realize how interesting in some ways your friends are. Yeah. (laughs) And it's funny because I mean, I am, I don't know if it's my age or my brain, but like over the last like five years, when people ask me like, what's up, like there's like so many things that are up, but I can never like tell people what I'm like currently into. Like I, I might've just had a baby or I just like moved into a house and I, and I'm thinking more of like on a personal level, like I did start a new TV show, but they don't want to know about it. You know what I mean? Like, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I self-reflect when I talk about myself because um, my wife asked me the other day, she was like, Somebody asked me about law, my son, the other day at school. And, and she was like, do you think they really care? And I'm like, you know, you know, they don't care, right? Because you should think like yourself, like I, I, I wouldn't care. And I'm a huge, 
small, like I'm huge against small talk. So if anybody's listening to this, who's my friend, <laughs> they should already know I don't like small talk. So, um, but let me, let me delay, introduce you. Uh, I've got Ryan Michael Smith uh, with me. And I know Ryan through a longtime family friend, um, Emily Dillon, who we went to church with uh, together. And I, I did Boy Scouts with her brother for the longest time. But uh, funny story, because I know how Emily loves her, uh, her how I know people, stuff like that. But uh, funny story, how like I, I had always like run into Emily, like just because I was like, an, I think she was an altar server too at like church where they've got yeah. the black and, black and white gowns, like holding the candles and stuff like that and passing out the bread. Um, but, uh, but I had never really like talked to her, or, like interacted with her at all. But uh, we both um, like high school year, we went to CCD. Do you know what CCD is? Yeah, I went through CCD as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so like seventh or eighth grade, like this was after confirmation. So this is basically like, you know, equivalent to people, I don't know, going to class after like, I don't know, exams. You know what I mean? Like there's no point to going to CCD people. Uh, CCD is like, like, like we mentioned, it's like Christian school after you go to regular school and nobody, nobody wants to be there. I'll, I'll just say that. And nobody wants to be there after confirmation, especially because there's no, like the only thing after that is getting married or becoming a priest. Let's put that out there. So getting, getting to Emily. So basically in these, in these classes that you're not talking about confirmation, you're just talking about like world things. You're talking about like uh, the church's opinion on abortion, on like poverty. And, and I don't even need to tell you, but like, you know, Emily on like, the poor, the destitute. And, and I have no, I, I really have no opinion on that just because I hate following the news. But when we were 17 and 18, Emily Dillon was like the person like in your AP classes who were asking about like the homework for the next day when the teacher didn't say anything about it. And she was the one like, like getting into like severe arguments on the peasants in the uh, agrarian, you know what I mean? Like she would, she would fight with the teacher in CCD and I'm just sitting there waiting for the time to pass. And I was just like, I, I, she, she's a force to be reckoned with. That, that's all I got to say. <laughs> and, but I, I, I do love our interactions to death just because they're very unique and astounding. Cause we, we've played a random D and D session together. I think maybe like four years ago, she came over to a house that I was staying out with a bunch of friends and she was just there playing D and D, which fascinates me (laughs) for all those reasons. That's why I married her. So it works out. Yeah. Okay. Now this is all about you. So start me off. You're from Wisconsin, correct? That is correct. Yes. Okay. So where did it go from there? What was your family life like? Uh, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so from Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin, it's a small-ish town of like 10,000 or so people. Uh, I grew up in a family of four, two older siblings, and then a younger brother. Uh, family was probably, I'd say we're middle class in terms of that regards, you know, socioeconomic status-wise. Um, 
And my little brother was five years younger than me. My older siblings were like six, seven years older than I. So a little age gap between all of us for that. So I was definitively the middle child, I'd say, for that. Um, and we were in, in terms of Wisconsin, not rural, but definitely not city, uh, somewhere in between, not necessarily in suburbs, I'd say. But very little diversity, not much to speak of at all, comparatively speaking, now that I live here on the East Coast. Um, high school was like a thousand students total. I think my graduating class was like 200, which in retrospect to other people in that area was massive. We were one of the bigger high schools. Um, so that kind of shaped a little bit of everything in terms of where we were from and what it set up, but definitely a different world in rural Wisconsin area than especially where I live now in the East coast in Baltimore city. <laughs> um, so that kind of led the way for a whole lots of things, but Overall, you know, growing up, my parents were super supportive of everything, had great, uh, you know, siblings that were supportive of that, got really involved into sports, uh, specifically wrestling um, and working lots of jobs, uh, you know, pizza cook, washing dishes, cardboard factories, Jimmy John's, all the things. Pretty sure I've had a hand in almost every job I can think of. Um, and you know, life was pretty good from all that. We decided to stay in Wisconsin for college, went to the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point to become an athletic trainer. And then that led me to grad school for physical therapy, which eventually led me over here to the East Coast um, for all that. So that's the, the quick nitty-gritty of how all that turned out. Speaking of, like you mentioned box factories. You worked at a cardboard factory. How was that? Oh man, that was a summer of brutal physicality. I didn't, I, I work, uh, I do PT stuff in the employer space now. And man, I got my ass kicked or butt kicked, depending on if this is explicit or not. <laughs> now I got to put it down as Thanks a lot. Down. I only had one other episode and that was the uh, hijacker episode. Oh, uh, there we go. Okay. Well, that was necessary to have that. In oh there. yeah. That is very true. <laughs> uh, but like, I, I can't even, was it just cardboard that you were dealing with or were you like, cause I would imagine you get in some, some hijinks cause there's a, you know, there's forklifts there and B like whenever cardboard is involved, since I know like my child's one year old and everybody knows one year olds love cardboard. But when oh, you yeah. get older, it's just like, like what wrestling moves can I do with like three feet of cardboard, like Great. below me, you know yeah. what I mean? No, it was uh, essentially it's corrugated cardboard, but it was a like a summer college job that would be good back in my hometown. You just take these giant eight by 10 sheets and try to pile up as many as you can on your forearms. You shovel them to a machine and then it like cuts them out, puts the ink and stuff on it and sends it out. That's, you know, how all the boxes get made, essentially. Um, and that was just what I do over and over and over and over again or glue a bunch of things together. So it was good in the sense of a. Uh, I mean, it was a good summer job for that. It was like 100 degrees mm -hmm. in the warehouse. You're putting all that in. Builds character, as my dad would say, for it. Uh, but really made me appreciate I did not want to do a physical labor job moving forward. Uh, uh, <laughs> from the sense of uh, there's no way I could have done that for years. There was dudes in the line who had done it for like 30. And I'm like, yeah. I don't know how you do it. I was beat up and brutal. But the, the funny thing of that is, Ironically, you had earplugs in at all times, safety goggles. So you're kind of in your own world. And it was a really easy way just to like zone out for eight hours and just repeatedly do things over and over and over and over and over again, uh, which is pretty nuts. But yeah, it was it was a hell of an adventure for, you know, four or five months. That sounds like my my wife always like she's a teacher right now. And she she's like, man, I would love a factory job just doing the same thing like every day. And I'm like, 
you actually might like that because yeah. <laughs> she she just likes to like she's got like a direct focus unlike me where i just go in like sporadic locations like make a start a podcast you know what i mean yeah like she would be like i'm too tired to do that but <laughs> what i wanted to say is talking to your brother our dads sound very very similar but very different at the same time and i think you've met my dad before so you kind of know that he's very like salt of the earth type man um but your dad sounds sounds much nicer because from what your brother was telling me like your dad would like for example on a saturday morning get up really early right but he wouldn't wake you guys up correct oh but complete opposite (laughs) dad was the epitome of like midwestern fatherhood style uh the, the story is that like when it was just my brother and I, my little brother and I at the home, my older siblings had gone to college. Um, he got tired of, I think, just yelling at us to go help him shovel in the mornings when all the snow was there. So eventually he just stopped. And what he would do was go outside and start shoveling at like five in the morning. He knew that we could hear him shoveling. And whether he consciously knew this or not, the guilt and disappointment we felt in not helping our dad do a chore in the morning in which he expected us to was way worse than him telling us to get up and go help him. And that's when I realized how much Catholic guilt I carry with me over that. My dad's out there shoveling. You hear the first scrape and you're like, oh, you're, just, you're out of bed in two seconds and jolting out there. So whether he intended that or not, that was always the, the way to get us out there and start helping with chores. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, otherwise he was, dad's probably one of the quietest guys I know, very it's timid and uh, not incredibly outspoken, but when he does, he uh, he thinks a lot about what's he going to say before he does. And so he kind of did that all growing up from it. The same way with the shoveling piece, like realized he didn't need to say a whole lot of things. His actions spoke louder than his words. And that in turn probably shaped a lot of what my little brother and I do for our work ethics overall is just don't say much, go to work, get it done and think about it later. Yeah. So when I said our dads are similar, the only thing similar is hard workers because my dad would have uh, so and it's the same in the same scenario that you were talking about with the shovel like the funny thing is like you'd never heard so much gravel on the pavement too like where did that gravel come from like i don't remember any gravel on our like asphalt but when you when you're shoveling it it sounds like he's just picking up like rocks you know what i mean like And I don't know if they did that on purpose or it was just the guilt. Cause I had that too. It was like, my dad would be, and it wasn't just like that. Like you said, like mowing, it would be like anything, mowing the lawn, like making home depot runs. Like that was like the worst part of my childhood was like home depot runs. But <laughs> cause who wants to go to home depot on the weekend? Like, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I know that sounds bratty, but it's funny. Our generation, I know we don't, it's just like our parents and their brothers and sisters say, like, we don't know how good we have it. And, and, and that goes to what you're saying. Like you saw your dad on how hard he worked and I saw my dad on how hard he worked. And I mean, my parents pushed me to, I mean, they didn't push me to become an engineer, but they definitely pushed me towards college. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like a lot of our parents, our age, they pushed us to college so that we didn't have to do blue collar, like tough jobs where they came home and they, they didn't want to do anything else. You know what I mean? Whereas like, for sure. Yeah. Where people are days, they look for that side hustle because maybe they're working like a light job where they have enough 
strength and energy and I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I mean, my mom's parents both worked at Oscar Mayer in a factory for like 30 or 40 years while working a farm. And I mean, they were just on the line all the time. And I, I'm sure my, my dad's parents were a little bit different in terms of their jobs, but yeah, we, I talked to him about that consistently of the expectations their parents had for them. And then they had for us is very different. And now that we're in this world of one, looking back on was college, the right move for all of us, you know, millennials and, um, you know, Gen Xers period. Now that how much it costs and everybody's like, why did we push all these kids to college so quickly? And at a price point, that's absurd um, for some degrees. And my dad's like, if I would have known that I would just had you go do a trade job or something like it. But at the time, no, well, no, at the time I was like, dad, I'm going to make enough money someday. I'm just going to pay somebody to fix the sink, right? Like that's my goal. And here my brothers and I are now YouTubing everything and buying saws and, you know, ratchet sets and new screwdrivers. And that's what Chris and we're all, now we all do this stuff. And we're like, oh, if we would have just paid attention a little more when we were like 15, I might actually know how to find a stud on the wall a little bit better. Like, yeah. So where are you today? We talked about kind of like, your upbringing through your parents and stuff like that. And we, I, I did mention you're a physical therapist. Te- technically, you're a doctor as well, right? A doctor of physical okay. therapy. That's correct. the correct term, right? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So what made you leave Wisconsin to go? What, what's the technical term for the major you got? So I got a major in athletic training for undergrad. Um, so you get licensed as an athletic trainer. Then you also get a degree in Bachelor of Science in athletic training. Um, uh, and then, yeah, I went right from that. I graduated May of something, 2013. And then I started PT school, June of 2013. So, and I did that over at Ohio state university in Columbus, Ohio. The, the impetus to leave Wisconsin was not like this you rah, rah of like, Oh, I hate it home. I need to get away from it. Like I've always sort of loved Wisconsin and I didn't necessarily need to leave. Um, but it came down to talking to my staff advisors at Stevens Point, And they're like, if you have the chance to go to a massive D1 school and, you know, go get an education, do it. Um, little did I know out-of-state tuition would be like 75K a year. In hindsight, I might have changed that result. No, yeah. But uh, overall, from where I'm at now, it was the perfect decision. But it was mainly because I didn't get accepted to Wisconsin or Minnesota for PT school, which is my top two. It was between Milwaukee University or University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee and Ohio State. And so, you know, the cloud of Ohio State, checking out the campus, like it was it was pretty perfect. So my dad drove me down to see the university quick um, on a visit uh, and I loved it. It was the first time I had driven into a city that had like a skyline. I thought like Milwaukee doesn't really have that. Neither does, like not really. And Columbus kind of does. We're like, wow, this place is huge. And it's Columbus, Ohio. And now I live in Baltimore and DC. And you're like, oh, those are what cities are like. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was sort of the impetus to get out to PT school for there. And then got my doctorate of physical therapy um, through that time period a little bit, uh, which was a significant chapter of life that seemed, I thought it was a decade long and it only ended up being like, you know, three to five years or something. But So now I understand why Emily is so gung-ho on this relieving student debt. <laughs> yes. You see, yes. You Because now it is, well, it's not hers. If I died or whatever, she wouldn't have to take it on, but definitely affects our financial decisions. But it, uh, yeah, the debt thing is, it's a reckoning for everybody. And I yeah. have no idea what the right solution is, whether it's forgiven or not. Like 
the the current solution because I have so much. No matter unless Emily and I were to make like tons and tons of money, the amount we pay towards it a month can never actually outkick the interest that is accruing on it. So you have to do the 10 years. Well, yeah, it's 25 years and then they forgive it, but you get 30% taxed on whatever that amount is at the end of that 25 years. So you have to put money away elsewhere in some sort of investment thing enough to be able to cover that 30% tax. Otherwise you go back into basically repaying the federal payment. Okay. I've got the solution for you guys. Just move to Europe and never come back. Never come back. Yeah. I mean, that's the only smart solution I really, well, obviously besides saying the debt to get away, but that, 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 <laughs> that seems like a lot harder than uh, just a, a flight to uh, Brussels. So you moved, so after college, this is the, the biggest part that I thought was very interesting that kind of caught me was you started your own business. So what, what made you get to that point um, and then kind of explain what the business is, I guess. Yeah. Um, so the business probably the seeds of that were probably in grad school uh, over at Ohio State. So when I first got to PT school, um, I knew I wanted to do orthopedic sports stuff. I think as every PT, a lot of PTs do when they first get there. It's a lot of motivation for people, even though there's neuro and other things for that. But I'll say um, I knew pretty quickly within like a year and a half or so that I wanted to kind of start doing my own thing, and also that uh, I was a little bit. I felt quite rebellious to the standard that PTs were learning. Like we kept doing these things that just didn't seem like they really helped or didn't work. Or like there was all these other cool classes that I could take outside of school that I would learn all these stuff and these new theories and things and just felt like there's a lot missing um, from the school curriculum. So I was already kind of like, ah, I want to do this or that and try that and do my own thing um, and really spur there. And then on top of that layer of wanting to seek other truths at how you can practice as a PT. Um, I wasn't doing great in PT school. It's probably the first time in my life that I wasn't doing, like school wasn't easy. So that in itself was a little rough, but so, uh, and most of that was because I wanted to do my clinical rotations the way I wanted, instead of learning from, you basically you go off to a clinic, you're assigned to a person who's your advisor. They walk you through things and you treat the patients with them. I had two separate clinicals that I almost failed because I did not do well with the clinical advisor I was with. Uh I just felt like there's a better way to do this in terms of how we talk about pain, in terms of how we do strength training. Like, I think this is what I was right. And, uh, and, you know, in hindsight, I was definitely like the student that none of these advisors wanted to have, who just was sort of opinionated, wanted to do their own thing, wouldn't just do it by the book. Um, And I'm like, man, I would hate, if I was my own advisor back then, I would have hated having me as a student. Um, so between like almost failing both rotations and a couple of my classes that were really difficult, I was just automatically this sort of in a position of like, I need to do things differently. Um, and I feel like I have the skill set to do that. Here's these things. How do I go about doing that? And that was basically the impetus to open up my own practice right when I graduated from PT school. So those kind of things all play together in terms of difficulty of school, my you know, clinical rotations, I wanting to seek knowledge and education elsewhere. Um, and then on top of all that, grad school ended up probably being the first time that I uh, sort of understood what mental health was and what depression was. Um, you talk to anybody from the Midwest, like we, the general stereotype is we just bury our feelings deep down inside. Like yeah. 
that's nice, right? The hopes, not like, oh, it's fine. There's definitely some truth to that. Um, but in grad school, I hit such a low of depression that I really didn't identify or understand what it was that, you know, that on top of the school being rough was just really bottomed out for a host of things. Um, so I had to seek some help and didn't quite realize what that meant at the time. But that plus the school plus the education and me wanting to do my own thing, that was kind of all this uh, like crazy events that came together and said, all right, I'm just going to open up my own business right when I graduate. Um, so I did, I opened up my own quote unquote clinic, which basically just means you treat privately, uh, as a cash-based PT, meaning people just pay you not necessarily the insurance, but, you know, um, sort of like a personal trainer type of stuff in terms of the transaction. I was doing that out of a CrossFit gym and a strength conditioning gym. Um, and at the same time, while I was kind of seeing some patients, I was bartending and managing a bar probably two to four days a week. So between those things, that's how I basically made ends meet for about a year um, before I moved over out to Maryland to start a business with some partners. Right. You're, you're working two jobs and uh, taking, not classes, but you were getting your hours, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause I kind of started treating, I couldn't treat patients in PT school, like on the side. Yeah. But, like starting to use my student, like students and just people at the CrossFit gym and just playing around with stuff. Uh, but then, yeah, during PT school, I was bartending all the time and just trying to save up money. Then when I graduated, I was bartending and being a PT. Um, Did you have any free time? A lot, actually. I mean, kind of, sort of not. Because when you open up your own business right after you go to school, it's not like there's just patients at your door. Like I probably saw a handful a month for the first few months. Um, So I was like working late nights at at the bar, making a ton of money bartending. And I almost went to the full restaurant route. I almost made a complete... 360 and threw my degree away because I'm like, ah, I could do the bartending thing and, you know, manage a restaurant. Um, but yeah, that was, that was like a year ish of that. I'm just making ends meet at the bar and then trying to like, what does it mean to establish a, a practice as a physical therapist um, and get patients and treat people and make it a viable business, which in hindsight, I had zero idea how to do any of that. Um, and was just kind of winging it as I went. And, uh, and that's why I took the opportunity to join kind of a partnership out in Maryland um, from all that. And so how did the partnership go with, this is Gene, right? Yeah. Who we were talking about earlier. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Who has his own podcast. Did you hear that episode? Um, uh, yeah. So him and uh, kind of met up with him and Ben through some mentorship programs and PT school. Some of the ways I was trying to find other education and stuff. Um, so we had known each other through that. Um, and he had got some funding and wanted to kind of start up a own clinic gym practice sort of thing. And then uh, met up with him and decided that was the right thing to do because I'd wanted to do something similar. I didn't have any funding or I didn't know how to like expedite that process. So he, he's like, basically, if you just move out to Maryland, we can start it, you know, X, Y, Z time frame. And I said, OK, when, where were you living prior, I guess? Uh, with a couple of friends. OK. Yeah, yeah. So they were the kindest people ever. I actually was their um, uh, minister at their wedding. Is that what it's called? Minister of the people? Uh, uh, priest, uh, minister. Oh, officiant. There we go. Officiant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they were incredibly kind to let me live with them for really cheap rent during that time period. And so I didn't really own much of anything. So I threw everything in my, at the time was this old Buick. Uh, and I moved everything down in just a Buick to Maryland. Got an Airbnb for four weeks until I could find a place for an apartment. I had a little bit of money saved up to be able to do that until we could open up 
um, the actual clinic and start like somewhat paying myself. That was cardboard money, right? It was cardboard money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, I'm not, and whatever could stick at the Airbnb there. And uh, with that, I mean, like, like we were talking about before, I know it's, it's not the same with DIY, but from, from my experience, just like getting into something and diving in the deep end, it's so hard, but at the same time you pick up stuff that like, for example, if you, if you're going to start another business down the line, you kind of know, I mean, you've already cracked a few eggs and it's not going to be as difficult. And you'll kind of know what I need to spend money on, what the shortcuts are. Like, for example, working at the company I've worked at, what I've realized is you can kind of tell what an employee is like in the first week mm. that you employ them, especially if it's a small company. You kind of like, A, you get their, like, their skills, what they're like as a person, and then their work ethic. You know what I mean? And like you did, like, I don't know if I could ever start, start a business, but. That's that's why I started a podcast, uh, <laughs> which could one day be a business. It's, it's yes, years yeah. down the line when I'm at episode 300, and then yeah, uh, what's what's that sponsored guy? by sponsored Hasbro. sponsored by Dippin' Dots. We're here. Wow. It's it's no longer ice cream of the future. It's it's the future now. Wow. Uh, that's the sponsorship. Nice. Yeah. Okay. But but there's better ice cream by then. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's awesome. It's just like, that's the best time to learn is when you've got like skin in the game. You know what I mean? Like you're actually grinding it out. So like all of these moves you've made are kind of lined up with the anagram test you took with the type three, which a lot of people I interview are type threes, which mm. I, don't, I don't know how that works out or maybe only type threes will say yes to me for interviews. But uh <laughs> are self-assured, attractive, charming, ambition, competent, and energetic. Wait, here come the negative traits. They can also be status conscious and highly driven for advancement. Do you kind of see maybe just the first traits, at least like the attractive, charming, ambitious type adjectives? I know Emily does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't... Uh... Yeah, when I took that, I think I was close to a couple there of like three, eight, nine, or something like that. But uh, it's funny because um, as I'll get more into the story for that, like the the high advancement stuff, I've really tried to figure out and uh, and look uh, very consciously and transparently, like why did I end up wanting to start a business like that? Um, like, what was the true motivation and driver? Because you know, I had all those things that came together to do it. Um, but yeah, I think I really just wanted recognition for a lot of things. Like I wanted people to know that I'd work hard and I could do that and I could build something and that I wanted control over all that and say, this is mine. Here's what I've created. This is what it could be. Um, and that's kind of what I've always wanted, I think, for, for lots of things. And in retrospect, like you can't go into a business, I think, with that mindset of either wanting control or recognition to some degree over those things. Um, cause you don't always have control and you won't always get recognized and nobody really sees all the things that you need to really learn along the way and really confront about yourself when you're trying to either hire people, convince other people to work with you, to, you know, grow as a team, to build a community, like all these things that you kind of struggle and work through. In the meantime, how do you progress yourself, you know, personally to get the things that you want at the same time? 
Um, and it's, it's difficult when I think of going through that. And all that is to say, I think I summarized it. Of like, I think I was just a bit selfish trying to start a business like that um, in hindsight without really understanding what my true motivations were and what that meant to do to start and build a business from it, especially from scratch. Like I, I was probably doing it because I didn't want to do what the status quo for healthcare for PT was. Mm-hmm. I don't want a recognition, like I said, for that. I'm like, cool. Well, I'm just going to do my own thing and figure it out later because I don't, I want control over that. Um, and very quickly, you know, if you ever end up employing a bunch of people on your podcast business at some point, you don't always have control and you have to figure out what that means and how to be a leader. And going through business ownership has really redefined what I think it means to lead and kind of where I'm at now. Um, but additionally, like it's one of the hardest, harder things I've done. Uh, and ultimately I'm at a point now where I'm not in the business anymore. Uh, and doing something completely different uh, because a lot of the things I've, I've learned from that aspect as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, agreed. So I guess in this process of the business and even even going out to the East Coast, I, I know that you said that you, you had some trouble at one point where, uh, like you said, the case of the Grumpies, if they, that's kind of what it was in my dad's you know, era, there was no such thing as depression or anything mm. like that. It was kind of like buck up and like, get your boots on basically. Yeah. Uh, well, was there any moments that I, I guess that, that anybody like was helpful at those moments or kind of like helped you push on or the exact opposite that was kind of not holding you back, but kind of not supporting your, I guess your choices. Yeah, there was, uh, ironically, in PT school, two women who were my advisors on my last clinical rotation um, that was a little bit specialized in business uh, were two of like the champions and, and people who really saw a lot of potential in me and thought I could do great things. And it really supported me in a host of, way, uh, host of ways um, and elevated me to you know start my own business, to give it a shot, try all those things. And helped me a ton with uh, overall pain that I was having, in addition to um, sort of depression and mental health issues. Like they were, they were very transparent and wanted to confront those things in a student that they didn't have to. Um, and it was it was a really great environment to be a part of and understand like what it meant to really be cared for in terms of a, an advisor and somebody who you're working under and those types of things. Um, and they, you know, without that, I don't know if I would have ever really been on the uptick and upshot to get out of that grad school depression type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that was huge for me in terms of the business. Like nobody in PT ever thinks your business is going to work. I went to comp, uh, multiple conferences in which they didn't think the model was going to work and these things and that stuff. So there's always, there's always a ton of motivation of uh, people who are naysayers when you're trying to do that. Even, you know, when friends, I think that's the hardest part when you're trying to explain to family and friends, like, what do you do? Like, well, I kind of do this business thing where we, you know, do this or that. And it's the hardest thing. Cause you always are looking for that, like face reaction. Yeah. Reaction. Like, do they actually think you're full of shit or not? Or like, what does this actually mean? Um, versus like, when you tell people I have a job, I have a salary. I do, like, it's so much an easier conversation. That's why small because, talk is the yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> it goes back to what you're saying before. Like, it's easier to say, yep, got a stable job. We're doing this. Like we're checking out the boxes versus like, actually, like I barely make above poverty guidelines and I'm struggling to figure out how we're going to run this thing for the next three years. That's even worse. That'll just mean like they, they need to like develop an emotional reaction that they didn't know they had to at a, uh, 
birthday for a one-year-old or something like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, uh, well, I've had a, I've had a good amount of people who have elevated me and I think helped in that sense. And, you know, surprisingly, most of them are women. Um, and when I look back or reflect on it, who just been able to, you know, lend me great advice, support me throughout it, um, and encourage me to look at more than just, you know, what am I producing or this type of stuff? Uh, and how am I taking care of myself and those things? Um, yeah. Emily, obviously my wife being the largest component of that. Um, you know, the funny story there is we first started dating. I told her that I had beat depression and like, yeah, I've taken care of this. Like, don't worry about it. Like I, I already took care of that in grad school. Why can't you do the same thing with like, you know, anything that you might be going through. And in hindsight, what an idiot I was, but also I've now understand like, how does depression, you know, look like for me? When do the ebbs and flows occur? Who am I during those times? Um, and, and really trying to address that as, as a major, you know, point of a relationship or a marriage. Uh, yeah. So you had mentioned that you're out of the business now and it, do you have any moves currently five years down the line? Like, do you have your eyes on something? Yeah. So this ironically time podcast is like the, I'm doing my first steps to get back into PT. So I took what I labeled as a sabbatical <laughs> in which I still had a job, but it had nothing to do with healthcare or physical therapy. I did, I'm a operations manager at a creative agency. Um, so I, I took some of the business stuff I learned and project things and operations and um, got a job at an agency to be able to do that. But so you're, so you're basically like John Hamm and Mad Men, right? Is that, that's what I'm imagining right now. Exactly. All I really do is smoke cigars and drink whiskey all day at the office. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. What, the, what was that? Sixties. Um, so yeah. So ironically right now I'm starting to dip my tail back into PT water. Um, I'm getting involved with a company who does physical therapy, coaching and wellness in a really unique way, direct to employers. And, you know, I have a host of thoughts on how healthcare can improve and what that, but the biggest part is meeting people where they're at, um, which is at work, right? Most people's health things, when you boil down to it's work related. And if you can get to people there, start planting seeds, how to improve your health and also show employers that your, your, your people are stronger, happier, and healthier. Like that's where it's at. It's just really hard to show employers what to do. Luckily, this company has, has done that for a long time. And is slowly gaining traction and building more. So doing a little bit there, eventually we'll probably go back to PT with them or, or to with someone in some regards full time um, and move on from, you know, the five years of uh, what I did, you know, with the business itself. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I wanted to say to follow up with that, when you get a, like a new client, and this is kind of touching on, I guess, not just your business, but the profession. When you start off with a new client, I guess, how do you approach it? Do you take it off? Like, what do you want to achieve? Or do you kind of take it from their attitude? Like, obviously, I feel like the mental aspect is the like the body will follow the mind. You know what I mean? The way you handle it when you see a new client. Yeah, I, I'd say to me, movement's a window into people's health. You can tell a lot about someone and what they're doing when they're moving. Um, but ultimately, I think it comes down to... Um, the, I forget what the exact diagram or term for it, but essentially the stages of change of where they're at in terms of their, their pre-contemplation, contemplation phase, all that stuff. From working for people like in a CrossFit gym to actual healthcare to the employer side, um, it, it does relate somewhat to the mind of, you know, what is this person willing to be at 
And for you as a healthcare provider, I think you're just trying to figure out how do I plant the appropriate seeds or help this person wherever they're at in their journey, right? Um, so we're dealing with things like chronic pain and injury, things along those lines. The ramifications of that in that person's life are massive. You're trying to figure out what am, am I going to do with this person in where they're at at the moment and what will be the most helpful for them. Um, I like to do that through movement as much as I can in terms of, um, you know, show what you're moving. And when you're moving, what do you feel when you move and how is that related to your pain? Because um, if you can help people improve their overall health literacy and kind of understand where they're at with what they feel when they move, it can go a long way. But when I talk about pain like that to people, they can also be like, oh, you're just telling me it's all in my head. You know, screw you. I'm going to go go elsewhere and get my back cracked and I'll feel better that way or something like that. Yeah. So it's a really fine line between where we what we know about pain, where it's going, what we know about social determinants of health and how you figure out what that person in front of you has and how you create sort of a, a positive approach to move them along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really comes down to where they at in that stage of change. Um, you know, what do they have going on in their life and, and what are you really trying to do with that person? And sometimes less is better in, in most cases, I'd say. Yeah. And the other thing, good thing I like to hear is people like changing their perspective and adapting. Your brother, Tony, was telling me that you took some, I guess, I think you said prenatal, not prenatal, postnatal courses for like women who after having a baby and it opened your eyes kind of, I guess, how to help them. Yeah. When I, well, the two women I talked about, um, who I did my last clinic rotation with, they had a, a pelvic health, women's health clinic. Um, and I did that because I really wanted to get into their business, understand how it worked, but also, um, you know, selfishly from a business perspective, women's health and pelvic health is a huge growing area of revenue and expansion and need for women across. And we continue to see that pelvic physical therapy for women is incredibly helpful and um, it works well. So for all those business and also clinical reasons, it was great. But yeah, I took a lot of postpartum courses to just understand like, how can I help women who are, you know, postpartum, we're trying to get back into fitness and work with them um, and say appropriate things, right? Because most of us dudes have zero idea what that experience is like. Um, I mean, I know you have a kid and you've seen your wife go through a host of things, but it's, it's amazing when you can speak the language that a woman is experiencing and what they understand. And, and they sense that and understand that you do get that. Because when they do, that's just a different level of buy-in and trust. And now I get to ask these you know, questions about that um, and really intimate questions, right? When you're talking about like, hey, your pelvic floor and, you know, are you having constipation issues and condense issues? Like, are you bleeding? Like all these things are really tough questions. Um, and you need to be able to ask them and talk to them very straightforward about it um, and have a level of empathy that you otherwise might not. Um, so the postpartum class is just allowed for me to, uh, you know, for lack of better words, just speak to women. Um, I, maybe I was never good at that in the, in the first place. And so this postpartum classes helped me get there. Uh, that's what Emily says anyways. Um, but yeah, cause to me, it just makes also business sense. If you, you can't help those, you know, women in those cases, you're eliminating 50% of the population that you're trying to work with from a business. Um, and then you're just going to work with a bunch of dudes all the time. No offense, but, uh, that doesn't always work that way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also no, no dude probably wants to work on their pelvic floor. Yeah. which. And ironically, there's a, a lot of male pelvic health uh, issues out there too. Um, mm. Yeah, like a quick segue, that's uh, part of that depression and pain that I had in grad school 
was I was deadlifting a boatload of weight, had a back pain injury that actually led to uh, incontinence issues for myself as a dude, which as a like 23, four-year-old guy, you're like, what is going on? Yeah. Uh, and that was sort of the impetus to get involved into the pelvic health route was through my own understanding of struggles of like, why am I having these issues and what is going on here and who do I seek for help and how many obstacles are there of even talking about and having honest conversations about it. One of my favorite questions, what is something that your parents did that you would like to pass on to your children? And mm -hmm. what is something that you are trying to avoid uh, what your parents did? Uh, my parents were amazing at, um, supporting me without getting involved at a high degree, right? There's stereotypes of like the helicopter parents and stuff like that. Uh, I was, I was really, really involved in wrestling in high school, uh, when, did all the things. Um, my parents would wake up at 6am on Saturdays, drive me three hours to the tournament, let me sleep in the car the whole time you know, watch me wrestle, drive me all back three hours, you know, all those things that we expected. But most importantly, they, they didn't really understand the sport when they first got in. And so they would just sit there and watch and they would always say, we're so proud of you. We're so happy for you. But I knew they didn't really know what was going on for the longest time. And, and I also know that when they finally did figure it out and got excited about what was happening, they were still relatively reserved about it. And we're just, just happy to see me, you know, work at something. Um, and I never felt any sort of pressure from them on any degree from, you know, my athletics to other stuff in that regards. They just, they were just quietly supportive all the time, I guess is the best way to put it. And I for sure want to do that for my kids. Like, you know, I, I feel like I'm a very confident person and I think they instilled that in me without ever having to, you know, drive me to do something by just saying, we're proud of you. We love you. We'll support you doing this stuff. Uh, and like, if I can recreate even like 1% of that and what they instilled, I'll be happy for it. Um, in terms of avoiding things, I think it's the Midwest thing, even as much as it is my parents. And they just, I think they struggled a lot to have very honest and deeper conversations about emotions, feelings, issues in the family, um, health, stuff like that. And they are more, I think, as they get older um, now and being able to talk about certain things. but. It isn't easy, uh, and they never really prepared those types of conversations for able to have them very well. And I think I want to be able to do that with my kids. Um, you know, maybe the postpartum courses that I took are a step towards that. We can talk about health and those things. It makes it easier to talk about anything else. Um, and that's probably the one thing I'd probably try to change. Okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, sir, for making time. I know you had to fit me into your busy schedules today with mentoring and you didn't actually end up helping somebody move, right? You said that got delayed. No, the move we ended up doing, uh, yes, the mentorship thing is separate. I'll be starting probably tomorrow or the next week. Mm. Uh, yeah. Good. Good for you. I, I wish, I, I mean, I wish, I mean, I can just do something like that, but I think I'm more of a soup kitchen person. You know mm. what I mean? Like, yeah, I could see myself with a ladle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really don't think I'm a, a good role model just because I, I don't know. I don't know. Once we get to podcast episode 300, you know, <laughs> yourself could change. Or it might get darker. You never know. <laughs> yes, who knows? Yeah. Well, thank you again. And I'm very thankful for Emily for hooking this up. So thank you, Emily, as well. Um, 
but yeah, thank you, sir. No problem. Appreciate it. Have a good day. If you like this week's episode of People More Interesting Than Me, please follow me on Apple Podcasts so you won't miss out on more episodes like these.